Hey, I'm Adrian, Israelia. Hi, I'm Angela aus Deutschland. And, and we, we are, are Black, Black Women, Women in, Europe. in Europe. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Amazon Music, and Audible, and many more. And be sure to check out our link tree in the show notes so that you can follow us on all social media platforms and check out our blog. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast or know someone who'd be a great guest, please contact us at podcast at blackwomeninyourup.com. And we are so excited that you're here today. And here is our next guest. And you know what? Speaking of getting things right, I just got something right during our pre-call. Uh, we're going to talk to a sister in the UK that I have known for 15 years. And I learned today I've been pronouncing her name wrong for 15 years in my head. Because we haven't, you know, this is our first conversation. I haven't said it out loud to her. But I want you to meet the fabulous Jana. She's in the UK. And I met her 15 years ago as part of the, wasn't it part of the Afrosphere, Jana? Isn't that how we met? I think that's how we met, yeah. Yeah, so she is a fantastic blogger. She is an author. She is a social activist. She is um, a mental health survivor. Um, and she's here with us today. Welcome, Jana. Thank you so Welcome. much for coming. It's so lovely that you have me on your podcast. I'm really pleased that you're having me on now as a guest. So thank you so much for having me. Well, you know what? Tell us where you're calling in from, because the UK is a big place. Yeah, I live in London. Ooh, a Londoner. Are you a Londoner? What do you call a person born and raised in London? A, a true Londoner? I guess a native, well, I'm a native New Yorker, but I live in London. <laughs> I've lived in okay. London most of my life, so I'm a Londoner. But I guess okay. you might call a Londoner a Cockney, for example, the Cockneys. Because I wonder about that. Okay, because you're, yeah, because like you say, native New Yorker, you know, I'm a native Washingtonian from Washington, D.C., mm. but a Londoner, you know. So, wow, so you've lived most of your life in London. I didn't realize, I don't think I knew you had an American background. So tell us about that. Um, it's not that interesting, really. Mm -hmm. I was born in New York City. I went to, I grew up in New York City. I went to college in Massachusetts for four years, and I live here. So London's my home. Wow. Have you ever lived anywhere where people didn't have really distinctive accents? No, I don't think, well, you know, I don't think I have a distinctive accent, but everybody else thinks that I do. So there you go. Well, you know what, Jana? I don't know. Angela was making fun of you because what, New Yorkers? And then no, I wasn't making fun. I just, but, well, but, I, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm like lighthearted fun because I'm thinking she's right. New Yorkers, very distinctive accent. And Massachusetts, same thing with Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. London, very distinctive. So no, that's a bit of good fun. And you know what? For you to even say you don't think you have an accent, you sound like a Londoner. I don't hear any American in you anymore. So congratulations. <laughs> I think. Oh, thank you. See, people in the States always think I sound English, but people in London always think I sound American. So there you go. Oh, that's interesting Sorry, because I lived more. in London. I lived in England. Okay, so I don't really have an English ear because I hear the Brit in you. Okay, so you live in London. And how long? So I don't want to say like, you've been in London long enough to see a lot of changes, right? Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. Right. And, and I think of London, like big cities, like in terms of mayors. So like you've seen, like, who's been your favorite mayor and what's it like now? I know you and Angela were talking a little bit about Brexit, but I want to know, what do you think your life has been like in London? How's it evolved through the mayors and now through the pandemic? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's changed a lot because when I first came to this country, Thatcher was just newly in power. She'd been in power a couple of years. And so there is a sense that your local neighborhood people, a lot of whom identify as working class, looked after each other. There's a really, really strong sense of community. That's largely gone now. But for us as Black people, there's there's still a sense of community, but it's like we have to work at it. We have to work at um, at getting it together, um, having spaces where we can meet. And there's been a spate of spaces being closed down over the last few years before the pandemic. And it's really shocking, but it's because we don't own our own property. Um, so we have to host our events in rented property. And then there was... Um, there was an organization called The Nub and they were in East London and they had their own uh, building that they owned and they used to screen black films there. But that even got shut down. I mean, shut down. I'm not really sure what happened there. But yeah, things have changed a lot. We had Boris Johnson as a mayor. That was not fun. And I'm sure he wanted to be mayor because he wanted to be prime minister. When he was a child, he was he said that he wanted to be world king. So now he's world king. Is that a quote? Is that a quote? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said he wanted to be world king when he was a child. So now, you know, now he's world king, right? But well, now he's, he's the he's the king of the ashes now. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now everybody is um, turning against him. And I just think it's really stupid because they knew what he was like. The man's been sacked from two jobs for lying. And everyone knows that. But they still chose to vote for conservatives because they wanted to get out of Europe. And I was chatting with Angela earlier about some of the problems that we've been having since leaving Europe. Um, I mean, some they're not all caused by leaving Europe, but I thought it was really stupid. Uh, I, it was just a stupid move, really, because I think we're better together, we're better united. But, you know, that's a minority opinion, apparently. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the problems, are, like the truck driver lorry, um, truck driver shortage, is, is to do with COVID as well. Because there are truck driver shortages in European countries as well on the continent. So it's, it's complicated. You're right. You know what? It's complicated, and the pandemic has made any problem worse. Yes. And I know, yes. yeah, I was in England. We lived there four years during when you had those four elections, including Brexit. What was it? Mm. It was it was a snap election. I remember it was the Scottish referendum. Yeah. It was Brexit. Was it two things for Brexit? I, yeah. I know you guys had yeah. election fatigue but do you still participate are you still a new york voter or a massachusetts voter i'm a new york voter still yeah okay good for okay so you vote there and, and you obviously vote in the uk as well okay do you all have any elections coming up you know did you request your you have to re-request your ballot every year have you done that for new york yet I haven't, you know, I usually only do it for the presidential elections. Oh, please um, do it for, um, I'm not sure, Angela may know for if New York lets you vote for the state things, um, if you say you're not returning. I know you always, you're right, you have the right to vote in the, in the uh, presidential, but you may want to pay attention to what's happening in your state. Um, you may well. want to go ahead and request your absentee ballot anyway, because there's not just presidential. I mean, this year is also the Senate elections right. and the House of Representatives. And right. we need everyone to vote this year, for sure. Like, so you can go to votefromabroad.org and request your absentee ballot. So my little yeah. plug, my plug. And but... I appreciate that, Jana. I'm so glad to know that after all your decades in, in the UK that you're still 
vote in America because that's how we are. You know, a lot of people feel detached and don't yeah, sure, um, sure. don't care about that. But you know what? You so you've been there long enough. And, and one thing I thought was interesting that you said was that the the black community is losing these public spaces yeah. to to gather even pre-pandemic. One thing I know a little bit about is that like when the wind rush came, wind rush generation as they're called came, and I hope that's not a, a derogatory term. No, I don't that, think Okay, that they were denied, you know, um, access to the housing market and they would pull together their money and buy homes right. and things. That's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, so that wasn't done, I guess, you know, I guess it would, so we didn't do that with like clubhouses or other storefronts or things like that. Is that what you found? It doesn't seem so to me because like different organizations um, are working differently. So they hire a space, but there's people who hire the space like um, Black History Studies, for example, they hold what they call the black market and it got canceled at the last minute. They were told they couldn't have it. They had people coming over from Europe to have stores. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It's awful. And the thing of it is they used that venue before and there was no problem, but there's been a whole wave of venues becoming either closed down or just not, we're not allowed to use them anymore. And you know, we need to own our own spaces, but in order to do that, as you quite rightly said, we need to work together. We need to club together. You know what, Jana, before I forget, I know you wanted to offer Black Women in Europe community something. Um, I want you to say what that is, and then we can backtrack and say why, you know, because and then talk about your books and stuff. But I want to, what is it that you're offering us? Because I know it's something special. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say that I've got some financial opportunities. So we'll come back to that when we talk about my books. Um, but one of the things I was offering is a program. Well, it's just instructions, really, how to double your income in 30 days. Just by interested. Yeah, I'm interested, too. <laughs> but just by using the power of your mind. And um, I mean, I haven't really got a lot to say about this. It does what it says on the label. You can double your income in 30 days just by using the power of your mind. It really works. Okay, well, Zana, good. Zana, good. So let's but, talk um, about why you know, Zana, this is perfect. Now, how how are you qualified? Because I know you know that these, because one of your books is Success Strategies yeah. Yeah. For, 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 for Black people. So talk, why did you write that book? Um, success and, Strategies. Yeah, why did you write that? Like, how did you come, why were you, why do you feel like you were qualified? Why did you see the need? Okay, well, yeah, excellent questions. Um, and yeah, let's come back to double your income because I'm actually offering three things and double your income is one of them that can, oh, here we go. Yeah, that can help um, help you improve your financial situation. So it's like proving the power of your mind because our, our minds are so powerful. So when I first wrote Success Strategies, and this is to do with quite a few of my books, most of my books are in the field of mind, body, spirit, which another way of saying that is they're about how to get what we want. Money, financial success, career success, relationships, health, whatever you want to focus on. Manifestation, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. And I, I started writing these books and producing them long before anybody was talking about law of attraction. Um, I know you were back there, way back there. Yeah. Yeah. I've been A pioneer, I want to say. And a lot of it is about physical, mental, and emotional healing, psychological healing. And I'm putting a lot more emphasis on healing these days. That is often the first step in manifestation. 
So when I first started producing these books, oh, and I just want to mention as well, I also produce personalized recordings to help us achieve our goals by working with the unconscious mind because the unconscious mind is incredibly powerful. So using mindset and energy healing, energy medicine, we can achieve amazing things. So when I first started producing these books, I thought I just want to share, share some of the methods I use myself and some of the methods I teach my students. I taught adult education for many years. I have taught in Holloway Prison, a women's prison in North London, as well as many other interesting places. So some of my books are for specific groups of people, like success strategies are specifically for people of African heritage. And I should drop some links if you like. Um, yes, please. And some of my books are for writers and indie publishers, including my free ebook, Book Marketing Genius. But what I realized was that... Um, when I was teaching, what I realized was that when I worked with predominantly with white students, they had a tendency to be okay with self-power, but they were wary of and even afraid of other power. And with black students, it was the opposite. They mostly had no problem with other power, but they, they were very open to other power for the most part, but they were very wary of self-power. So one of the Okay, Jana, I, Jana, I'm going to slow you down there okay. because that was profound. And you have to repeat that and okay. break it down no and say what that means. No problem. Yeah, I, I found this big difference in that the white students mostly tended to be okay with self-power, but they seem to be even a little bit afraid of other power. And with black now, students, when you say self-power, do you mean yeah. self-confidence? Who's running the country? Like, who's my boss? Like, self-power, like that? they... I, what I mean is that, um, well, I mean, I'm wanting to encourage and support Black people to realize that we have power in our hands. So for we always seem to be looking for someone else. And this is a generalization, okay? It's not every single Black person. But we have a tendency to be looking for a leader or a savior or somebody to come and help us and sort out our problems. And we're so busy waiting for some hero or some savior or some leader to come and rescue us. And we need to recognize and understand that we can make enormous changes, each and every one of us. And when we work together, we're so much more powerful. So our power okay, is inside so, of us. It's inside okay. of us in our minds. Okay, profound. So that self-power. So instead of waiting for that hero, self-power is recognition that I'm the hero. I yeah. can, I have the power. Okay. Yeah. Fabulous. So, yeah. So before Obama's election, people used to always ask me, people were asking me for years, who's our next leader? Who's our next leader? And I would always say, look in the mirror. If you want to know where the next leader is coming from, look in the mirror. So I realize now that that is one of the real reasons why I wrote Success Strategies for Black People. I don't think I realized no, no, that. Let, me, right let me ask another question, because you said with your students, how old were these students? When these they were adults. I was teaching adults. And it was anything from 60, from 16, right up into the 70s. The whole wow. Range. Wow. And in the, okay, because that's important. So that's, that's basically, we grew up that you're basically, yeah, the, these are beliefs that we've adopted from birth. Yeah, our childhood, because you're meeting people that are 16 and older with these beliefs. So, OK, so that's very powerful to 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 be able to break through that. And do you find that well, that's just not a UK blacks in the UK or blacks in the US? Is that a um, like you like is that a universal? Like, I don't know. How can we I know your experience has been in the UK. Is that like Western? Can I put it like that? Have you found that to be a Western 
Black person's experience? Well, I can't honestly say, but I can say I've seen it in the U.S. and I've seen it in the U.K. And I'm going to leave it there. And I've seen, I mean, and I've seen it online and offline. People saying I've got this terrible situation at work. I'm just going to leave it to God. And I've said, well, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. I mean, personally, I'm a Buddhist. I don't actually believe in God. But if you believe in God, you must believe that God helps those who help themselves. Or what I would say is what energy you put out, that's what you get back. Right? So you put out the energy of helplessness, that's what you get back. And Tony Robbins talks about learned helplessness. And I think we learned a lot of that in slavery, frankly. We oh, well, for sure. That, for, you know, sure. And, and, and for sure. And part of our collective experience is sad that it's like we don't have that collective memory from pre-slavery. Like our life didn't start from there. But you're right, of course. And, yeah. um, in modern his in our history in the Western world, it's been as victim. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't know. Um, if you remember, I'm I'm assuming that you saw that film 12 Years a Slave. And there's a Angela, bit- did you see it? I didn't see it and I know the book. I Wait, know yes, the book. Okay. yes, I saw it. Um, and I read the book too. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, it's very, very disturbing, as you know. But um there's a bit where he's on a boat and they're taking him south. And the boat is full of black people, and the white people are in charge. And he says to one of the other black guys, one of the other brothers, says, "Well, we can, there's more of us than them. We can take this boat." And the other brother says to him, "No, there's only four of us. The rest of them are N words." Because people have been so oh, wow, big, yeah, people have been so, so four men so beaten down. That, yeah, so like, they, they were four really have men the to fight anymore. Wow. So the N word is not just what they called us, it's also a state of mind. And exactly, exactly. It's a state of mind, it's believing what they tell us about ourselves. And if you've had that brainwashing from birth, and to be honest, we all have. It's obviously nowhere near as bad as it was in slavery, but we still have that brainwashing from birth that we are less than. And we need to take back our power because we have enormous power. There's people in slavery who use their power. If you remember, I don't know, um, if you remember from the autobiography, one of the autobiographies, autobiographies of Frederick Douglass, where he talks about being sold to this man who used to beat him all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, that was a great part of the book. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, when he beat him man, back. Apparently, apparently he had a reputation for breaking slaves. Yeah. Is that the one where he beat him back? And that's when Frederick was like, he beat the guy back and that's when he knew he was a man? Is it that yeah, story? Yeah, but before that, what happened was he okay. went to see a root worker and she made a charm for him. And she said, wear this and he will never lift a hand to you again. So he wore it. And the next time the white man went to beat him, he beat the white man. And I remember that, that. And after that, the white man never lifted a hand to him. And then in the book, he says something like, I don't know if it was the charm. I don't know what it was. But the thing is, these kind of traditional charms and methods that we use work along with the mind, right? They work exactly. alongside the mindset. It's the belief. If you believe, you're, you're right. That's absolutely, absolutely. It's not, and as he said, because he, he believed that that thing was going to work. Or maybe he didn't believe it, but it was, the seed was planted that this thing's going to work. Yeah, it might yeah, work. It. it planted the seed. And he was willing to try it. And that's what we have to be, I think. We're willing to try things 
willing to try new things. I was trying to teach someone EFT tapping one day. I visited this lady in hospital. She had HIV and she was having a bit of a crisis or something. And I was I was trying to show her how to do EFT tapping and she was too scared to even try it because it's about taking responsibility for ourselves. Wow. Mm. So even so, even the willingness to try a new therapy or a new solution to even recognize that maybe you can change something is taking responsibility and can be too much for some people. Yeah, I don't think it's that it's too much. I think that we need to find ways to reach people and just show them that it's okay. If you believe in God, you have to believe that God wants you to be healthy and happy, right? Okay, now what about the people like the 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 Buddhists or the the atheists or whatever? that um, they don't have to have a belief system to benefit from from your books, Absolutely, correct? absolutely. The book is about mindset and it's about energy healing. So I talk about different methods of energy healing. And the way I see it is very much that all problems are caused by what are called energy blockages. They're called different things in different systems, but they're basically energy blockages. So in EFT, we talk about energy disruptions. In SRT, which is spiritual response therapy, we talk about programs. And some some of those programs are huge and they go really, really deep because they go into past lives, if you believe that kind of thing. They go into past lives. some of them are very, very deep, but once we remove them, then the problem goes away. And I've seen it myself many, many times. So I know that it's true. What we put out, we get back. So for someone, what, where do I have to be where I think, okay, I need this book? Is it just because I don't like my job or I don't feel fulfilled or mm. like, what kind of problem do I have to have to want to pick up one of your books? Well, the success yeah. strategies. If you if you need help with financial abundance, for example, um, you can. There's a chapter in financial abundance, but you can also use the whole book for that. If if you uh, want to improve your relationships, you're not happy in your relationship, you want to improve it. There's a chapter on that, but you can use the whole book for that. And lately, I'm putting more emphasis on healing because of what we were just talking about. Healing is often the first stage of manifestation. And unfortunately, I don't think there's, I think there's a lot of us still as black people who don't realize that we need healing. Um, But we do because what we're carrying, I saw this thing online this morning on Twitter. Let me just see if I can find it. And this was retreated by black, uh, black history studies. And it says when slavery ended, no one sat the freed slaves down for group therapy. We are still walking around with generational trauma in our DNA that we have to work through. And I just think that is so true. And that was my experience. I experienced a lot of abuse when I was growing up. I think that our our parents and our ancestors are very, very wounded from the slavery experience and in Africa from the colonization experience. We, they went through dreadful things. They went through horrendous things. And we're still carrying that. I believe that we still carry those that trauma in our bones, in our blood, in our DNA, and we have to heal it. Nobody else can heal it for us. We have to do it. So the new the new version is going to have more emphasis on healing. But as I said, you can use the whole book for healing. Wow. Angela. Um, wow. Yeah, I was just thinking that this, um, have you, there was a, an author, she wrote a book about, um, 
the trauma of slavery. She's like a psychologist and post-traumatic slave syndrome. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That was a very, and it also is kind of reminiscent of, um, have you ever heard of the book, The Celestine Prophecy? Um, I read it though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's sort of a combination of all those things, which sounds kind of interesting. I'm, I'm a big fan of The Celestine Prophecy. Right. Very much. Very much. Now, Angela, what's The Celestine? I've heard, that's a book i heard of, but I haven't read. Just it's related how it's it's about it's about a lot of things but one of the main things that i took out of that book was that you know you have to tell the universe what you want mm -hmm. in order mm -hmm. for it to come in order for you to get it and this is something that always works for me hey and and um, yeah, I read this book back in the 90s and, um, you know, the idea that the first idea that every person has something to tell you or teach you or give you that you meet, but most people don't take the time to talk with people in order to find out what it is. And right. that's something that I've always tried to, you know, especially if somebody is, isn't, if I find them annoying. You know, mm. then I, I, it, it's, there's a reason why they're annoying, Okay. but I have to just, just, you know, dig deeper, ask more questions. And then sooner or later, most times more sooner than later, I find out they have the missing piece okay. of a puzzle that I'm looking for, or they know someone I need to know, or they're doing something I need to be involved with. And so, yeah, you know. Well, you know, Angela, you bring up an important thing I wanted to ask Jana, because you say taking the time. So this people can't expect if they're working through your success strategies, this is going to be like a quick fix, right? We have to take the time to invest. Like what type of time investment are we talking about? Because you have to read the book and then you have to implement. That's right. That's right. So I've got things that can help you, as I said, double your income in in 30 days. I've got stuff in the book where you can start seeing profound changes within two weeks. But I said Donna, let me go back one thing because double in 30 days. So that means that's something that people are going to be doing 30 days, day one through 30. It's an action, exactly. action a day. Exactly. It's action a day. So people, so you have to commit to that. So you have to move past whatever. I don't have time or yeah, yeah. You know, uh, what if this doesn't work or because, and realize you're going to be wherever in 30 days anyway right might as well take a step a day exactly exactly because the 30 days are going to pass whether you do it or not so it's up to you what you choose now, to do now you can't guarantee that this is going to work right i guarantee that's going to work and the guarantee is that if it doesn't work i will keep working with you until you get the results you want wow well yeah i mean it seems to me that it's I mean, yeah, you have to make a commitment, but w if you see some kind of results, then your commitment will be more affirmed. You know, I, that's what yeah, I think. Yeah, your, your results will affirm your commitment and also, um, oh gosh, you know what? My memory is going these days. But yeah, that's right. But don't worry because you know what? My memory, please. I can't remember last time I had memory, but yeah, these, no, the, like, but so I, so the roadblocks 
you're are you talking you're talking mental roadblocks they're yeah, not yeah. like absolutely okay so we're not talking about if you live in the uk there's certain structural things like okay so let's talk about structural problems yeah. in the uk or can you use this mental to um overcome the structural yes hurdles? yes you can use it to overcome the problems that you're experiencing that are external because we well i mean I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I believe that whatever's going on inside of us, we attract what's going on outside of us. So, um, I, as I said, I talk about law of increase quite a lot in my books and in my teaching when I used to teach. And that's to do with mental processes, our thoughts. Our thoughts create our reality. And then law of attraction is more about feelings and emotions. And obviously, we need both. So the more we work on our thought patterns and also our feelings and our emotions, the more we can attract positive things. And you see, the the structural racism, definitely the structural feminist, um, the structural um, gender inequality and what I would call misogyny, actually, um, those things are there. They are real. They affect us. But we can actually change things. Each and every one of us can change our results. And then when we work together, um, we can be that much more powerful. We can bring about massive changes. I believe that we can change anything really. We can change the government. We can change a lot of structural things when we work together. But it starts from within each and every one of us. If we really want to make deep, profound and meaningful change. See, we can have quick change or we can have um, deep-seated change. and. You know, I say, well, choose which one you want because they're both good. <laughs> you know, they're both good. But do you really want to just have a quick change and then go back to how you were before? Or do you want to make permanent, long-lasting changes which impact on other people and impact on our communities? The more of us who are doing this work, the more it's going to affect our communities. And I believe we can bring about really massive change. You know, I... <sighs> What's the expression that young people say? Where's the lie? I don't see the lie in anything you're saying. Um, can you give Can you give me an example of a quick change and a long term change? And sure. do you think? Because I'm thinking you might. Some people might need to make a bunch of quick changes on the way to long term change. No, absolutely, absolutely. That's why I say choose which one you want because they're both good. So a quick change would be that you've got a new job. Now, when I was, um, as I said in one of the recordings, which I'm going to drop, uh, when I was doing W Income in 30 Days, I've been temping for several years, doing temporary secretarial type stuff. And it was very, very um, insecure work. You know, these days people talk about zero hours contract. It's very, very insecure work. So I might work for a week, then sign on for a week, then work for two weeks and sign on for two weeks. And it was very, very stressful. So one day I said, look, I'm going to use this method. And I used it. And after that, I got jobs that I liked. And they were long term. They weren't all long term. But they, basically, I always had a job. I never had to worry. I never had to think about whether or not work was coming in. You conquered job insecurity is what it sounds like. You yeah. went from yeah. and financial insecurity. In yeah. So that's an, that's an example of a quick change. Okay. Then a long-term change would be like what's happened now with a lot of these young people who are doing working for delivery services or Uber or something that now they um, 
they have to have things like sick pay and holiday pay, and they're treated as employees, not as self-employed, which is much better for them. You know, that means they're getting paid when they're going from one place to the next. They don't just get paid when they get there, which is what used to happen. So people could, so people can decide and make it say, I'm going to use the energy and make um, a change, a collective change that's good for all of us. I think when we work together, we're more likely to bring about collective change. And I'm glad you asked me that, actually. Uh, we don't always know what the results are going to be. I didn't know what the results were going to be. Um, but it's about being willing to try it, being open to trying it. I also had an opportunity when I was doing these, uh, this, um, this process every day. Um, I had an opportunity to make a big lump sum of money, like 30 grand, and I blew it. And that's to do with self-sabotage. So this is part of what I'm talking about, about healing. Sometimes we need to go deeper. Sometimes we might need to go a lot deeper. So nowadays I'm focusing more on healing because a lot of times that is the first step to bring about positive change. Wow. I, I was going to ask you, do you mind, I don't, and you can say no, but digging a little deep and sharing with us, how did that feel when you realized I screwed up 30K? Yeah, that that was that hurt, but I only realized it sometime last week, probably. Because <laughs> um, so, I realized that like maybe two or three years ago, because I heard about this program that people were doing. Um, we're talking about like twenty years ago or something when I was using this method, and it's like I thought, well, it's just like every other internet program, um, you know. Okay, I didn't get what I wanted, but I didn't really think it was going to be a lot of money. When I found out how much people were actually making from that program, I did get a little bit upset, but. For me, it's always a learning process, right? Because we're always going to make mistakes. We're always going to make mistakes along the road. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes all the time, okay? Well, and no, and that's what I wanted you to share because mm. I do too. No, and that's why I wanted you to share that because it's not, I mean, that's the road is paved with mistakes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but making a, making a mistake isn't the end of the world. Like, that's just the way it is. Sometimes well, stuff works out. Sometimes it doesn't. If it were the end of the world, none of us would be talking right now, would we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know what? And I and but I and and Jean, I'm glad you said that because I know as a black woman, I've made business mistakes where I didn't get the money, and mm. I've talked to a colleague and you know, a white German guy, and he was like, "Wait a minute, you didn't get that money, you know?" And you're like, just like you, you're like, you realize later, like, mm. I screwed myself. Yeah, and, yeah, we do, we do sometimes. Yeah. So I've done that. I know I've done, I've never been driven by money, but I know that I have dropped money that I deserve. That yeah, I earned, yeah. You know, and that, you don't feel good about that at all. Um, so I just wanted to commiserate with you. Thank and, you, thank you, I appreciate that. Because I know I feel how that feels. It, but then when you realize that, aren't you smarter or what are you, or are you bitter? Or, I was bitter for a little bit and then. I, I guess it must be yourself bitter. up for it. I think if we, when we beat ourselves up, that means we haven't learned the lesson yet, right? The lesson is that things do not go the way we want them to. And we need to learn what mistake we've made so that we make a different mistake next time. Because trust me, there's going to be another mistake. I mean, there that's, you go. that's right. The, a different mistake. You don't want to repeat your mistakes, but don't think that you're not going to keep making them. So that's yeah, that's exactly. the key. Exactly. Try not to repeat the mistakes. And, uh, and and learn from him. So what did you learn from that? I'm trying to think, what did I learn? What did you learn I, from? I think what I learned was that um, I have an issue with self-sabotage and I need to be kinder to myself. 
I need to remind myself that I deserve it. I deserve to do well. I deserve to, you know, have a nice life. I deserve to have plenty of money. I deserve to have a good relationship. You know, I deserve that. I grew up in a family where basically I was treated like I didn't deserve anything. And that's been a big, very, very long healing process for me. But the good thing about that is I can help other people in their process. Jana, that is, and, and I read, I knew that about you in your author profile. about yeah, the, yeah and, and I so appreciate you talking openly about it. And how, who is that? Do you, so you're still working with self-sabotage and you're making me think, is that why I screwed up my deal or didn't go for the deal I should have gone for? You know, well, what do you think? What do you think happened? Do you think that maybe you didn't believe that you deserved it? Well, you know, and I'm wondering, because I can look back, because I can remember the year. This, so this was probably like 2008, you know, so I'm trying to think, what, where was I confident? What was going on? What was what didn't I believe? I'm going to have to examine it. But mm -hmm. I know, like, mm -hmm. I, 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 it seems easy for me to think that it was a self-sabotage thing. So I have to think about where, why do I lean that way? Where is that coming from? But I never thought about it until we had this conversation right now. Okay. Um, Seriously, but um, so this is great for me. So you see, Angela, another therapy session thing. for me. Are you getting yeah. anything out of this, Angela? I'm always um, getting therapy. <laughs> I, I am actually. I was just wondering, Zana, um, how did you get on this path? You know, I think I was searching for something. I was searching for something when I was very young. First of all, I went off to college. And I thought I was going crazy because how because I lived with an abuser and I was having daily abuse, mostly mostly mental and psychological abuse and emotional abuse and some physical abuse. And um, when I went to college, it was like the the world was completely different from how I thought it was, and I literally thought I was going crazy. And I kept going to the psychiatrist and saying, "I think I'm going crazy." And the psychiatrist kept saying, no, you're not. You're not going crazy. But they didn't actually help me to work with it. Can so I, I ask, Jana, what was it that made you think it was going crazy? Like, what? Because the was world just, wasn't like your world at home? It was just different. It was like, and I don't remember a lot of my youth, to be honest. Um, I've got amnesia. But, I mean, just being told constantly, you've done this and you've done that. And constantly being gaslighted. If I would say something was wrong, they say, "No, no, I didn't say that," huh. or "I didn't say that." Somebody else said it. Or why are you making a fuss? You're being. But then, when you got to university, you realize you weren't being treated that way. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, that's right. <gasps> okay. That's right. Oh wow, that is. You know, I've had an experience. My ex-husband was kind of like he tried to gaslight me, but. Mm. In in some ways, but I, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm just like, I'm not going to say I'm like overconfident, but I kind of am. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, one good, of the reasons, one of the reasons why we're not married. No, <laughs> I'm like, nope, yeah. nope. I know what I know, and and nobody's gonna, nobody can change that. Mm. You know? mm. <laughs> so, but yeah. when you child growing up and you get told this every day by people who claim to love you. Mm. and who claim to know what and want what's best for you it is very hard to look past that and and anyway if if you say anything it's like but you shouldn't be saying that because it's not true and you're wrong and blah 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 you know it's very very difficult to see past that it's very difficult to get any um perspective and the only thing i can say is i'm glad at the ripe old age of being over 60 now that i have a little bit more perspective 
Because um, it took time, you know, it took time and it took work. Do you do any work with people about parenting? Yeah, in fact, I've got um, a book called Affirmations for Parents um, because I'm a practitioner of NVC, nonviolent communication, which I'm absolutely passionate about. And one of the things I'm passionate about is the way parents treat their children. And without wanting to blame or point the finger of blame, I'm not trying to hammer parents at all. I'm just saying sometimes parents need a little bit more help developing skills, communication skills, and we all need that, really. Um, can I talk a bit about the blogging carnival for nonviolence? Yes, absolutely. Please. And you know what, Jana, uh, Angela, I'm so glad you asked. And just to say, Jana, you're not bashing parents. Parents don't necessarily know, right? You're helping parents. This is a wonderful Thank thing. You. Thank you. Yeah, a parent. The job of parenting is one where you have you need no previous skills, yeah, certificates, exactly. or exactly. any kind of information. So people need as much help as they can get, and because if they don't, they will do the things like that were done to you in your yeah. Childhood. And I be, I believe, and I'm not again. I'm not saying that black people are the only people who experience violence and undermining behavior because it happens mm -hmm. in all communities. But my priority is my own community, right. which is black people. And sometimes absolutely. Like, and you've undercovered the roots. And we know why, as you say, yeah. we inherited this, yeah. you know, and you're right. And, and thank you so much for using your power to, for us, oh, for your community. You. Seriously, thank you. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's I think we're the only people in the world too that feel bad if we only do something for us or or I shouldn't say that I'm not attacking you or get criticized like or like or, and even like if you vote for a black person or you just vote for him for he's black and it's like shut up yeah you know right, nobody says that to anybody it. anybody else you only has anybody ever said to a white man you only vote for him because he's a white man yeah, no. nobody has ever said that nobody has, and you know we um sometimes I like watching TV chat shows because I like hearing what people have to say. And they'll say things like, well, if we have quota, we had a quota system, then black people will think that they only got that job because they're black. And I'm thinking, has any white person ever said, I only got this job because I'm white? <laughs> no. And we've seen so many who have gotten that job only because they're white. Yeah, so Donald thank Trump. you. Don't. So don't, so women, listen, we don't ever have to apologize for using our power Thank for you. our community. And I'm so thankful that we've got powerful women like you, Thank you using both. your power for our communities. Yeah, and you as well. You know, you've got this brilliant, vibrant community going on. I just think it's wonderful. And you've been a part of it from the very beginning. So thank you. And um, this is our year. Angela is, uh, as Jana, you know, I've been doing it by myself. Angela, thank God, at the end of last year came on and is doing it with me. And she's right. super powerful. She's literally one of our power listers. Um, she's right. in Germany helping. You know, we've got you in the UK that's always been doing high level stuff. We collectively can do so much more. So I'm so grateful for your affirmations for parents. You're going to help parents. You're going to help us with our finances. You help us with our success yeah. and with our language and our nonviolence. So yeah, this non I've been part of it in the past. How many years have you been doing this nonviolence blogging carnival? I don't know. A long, oh yeah, I think this year is going to be the 10th year. I think I, I missed a year, but um, yeah, I think this is going to be the 10th one. So um, what happened was I saw something online one day about Black Women for Positive Change. And it said, that they were holding a week of nonviolence. So I thought, well, I'm a black woman, I'm for positive change, and I'm committed to nonviolent communication, and I'm a blogger. So 
um, I contacted them and said, can I do a blogging carnival? A blogging carnival, for anyone who doesn't know, is when you have different people blogging on the same topic. So if you remember, Adrian, when we used to do days of action, like we had a day of action about tasering with the Afro spear, remember that? We used to be so active. Yeah, not anymore, sadly. Sadly, but, but I think we did a lot of good work. We did a lot of good work. Oh, so, we did groundbreaking work. And you know what? I think, you know, maybe it ran its course. No, but we did groundbreaking. We were making yeah. headlines. We were literally part of that movement when blogging started. Yeah. And bloggers were the first, and the first time bloggers were um, treated as journalists and credentialed yeah. for um, the Democratic National Convention exactly. in Denver. And we had so many black people. That's how I got to go as a um, credential blogger as part of the African-American political pundit. Rock Newman, yes, it was ton. We like met up, so tons of black. So we we served our purpose. I think we were on the cusp. Yeah, that's how I found you. So um, but I agree with you. It's kind of sad, but I don't want to be sad. I want to be grateful. No, now you know. You know what I mean. But you're right. It's kind of because I can remember. Remember what was the thing that happened in Ferguson? Angela, remember that? Yeah, yeah, that um, that that young man was shot by the policeman. Yeah, uh, for jaywalking. Oh my yeah, God. we were, yeah, we were part of all of that. So yeah. I can't remember the. So I think we were we were activated um, when we were needed. And you know what? I don't know the the millennials or whatever handle the Black Lives Movement. They didn't need. They didn't need. I don't even know if blogging is still the thing. But if so, let's let me ask you this. So say yeah. I don't have a blog because I'm a millennial. Can I be in the blogging carnival because I'm using my Instagram or my Twitter or my Facebook? Sure. And what I would do as well is put it on my own blog. So there's a website, and I link to different blogs from the website. The website is the Blogging Carnival for Nonviolence. And every year we have the Blogging Carnival. It starts, um, I start accepting submissions from June, and they are published in October. And we used to have, as I said, the week of nonviolence with Black Women for Positive Change. Now it's a month of nonviolence. And the beautiful, beautiful thing was that because they have, they have events all across the United States, and I do events here in London as well. Um, last year, because so much stuff was online, it meant I got to um, I got to attend some of the events in the states, and it was just so beautiful connecting with so many people who are committed to peace and nonviolence, committed to having peace and nonviolence in our communities. It what month is this? Beautiful. beautiful. That's in October, so the whole of October, which coincidentally is also Black History Month in Britain. I know, right. and well, and this, that's expanded to Europe as well. So, Angela, let me ask you this, because I want us to do. Um, we're going to do Black History Month in the in the in um, for Europe in October because you Brilliant. guys kicked it off in the UK. It's expanded because didn't you say you have it in Germany in October, Angela? Um, actually, I found out Black History Month is in February in Germany. Oh, really? It's it's the in EU wide. It's it's October. But so, okay, so we're going to do it two times this year because yeah. if you've got it in Germany. So, Angela, you're responsible for digging up black history. We just go talk about black Germans then for um, yeah, February, which is exciting to me because seriously, there's tons of stuff to talk about there. But um, so can I'm thinking that we need to make sure we help you get submissions for yeah, this because we've got until like what's your deadline now? You, you can take it up to when. Okay, so I'm not collecting submissions at the moment. I'll be accepting submissions from the 15th of June Sorry. until the 15th of September. Yeah. Sorry, so that deadline's passed, people. So what we have to do, though, is support it, though, and yeah. retweet and comment and yeah. be prepared for next year. Okay. 
No so problem. that would be really helpful. So, and what I'm going to do, because I, I blog a lot about these incidents with the police. I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago in the States, there was a little girl, six years old, who got put in handcuffs oh, and God, taken yes. out of the classroom in handcuffs. Yes. And when um, someone asked why, they were told that she had a temper tantrum. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the way they criminalize our black kids and girls in schools is um, scandalous. It it's really scandalous. is. It really is. And and I don't see... know why we're not all up in arms. And you know what? You know, if and what's the um and, and sometimes you just have to figure out like I have to live, I have to breathe. I can mm. only move my little mm. corner. But if you and I can I'm gonna Angela, you may know it, Jana, I'm sure, but I can't paraphrase um James Baldwin, but, but what did he say to be conscious and to be a Negro? It's like you're going to be enraged all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to That's walk right. around enraged. That's right. Sometimes we are going to be triggered and we are going to be enraged, but this is one of the things that nonviolent communication can give us. It gives us what, see, one of the things I found, which was a really strong experience for me, is that my self-talk actually changed. My self-talk changed. I was kinder to myself by the words I was using in my own mind. And when that happens, we're more able to connect with other people. We're less likely to, be, to get triggered from other people. So the basis of nonviolent communication is empathy. And it starts with self. Again, it starts with self. It starts with self-empathy. We can't empathize with somebody else unless we're in self-empathy first. You get me? Totally. I was going to say that was like a breakthrough for you. It must have been. It really was massive breakthrough. And I still have work to do. You know, that's just how it goes. But after years and years of putting myself down, and I mostly am not even aware when I do it. But when you do a lot of NBC, you start to become aware of those patterns. Well, I was going to say, can you give an example? Because a lot of yes. other people might know. Because yes. I know I try not to call myself and say, oh, that was dumb or stupid or, you know, just even that. I have to cut that out. Yeah, well, that's not being kind to yourself, is it? So, I mean, okay, I'll give you an example. I was, and I blogged about this. I was getting ready to cross the road. I have a lot of fears of crossing the road. I have agoraphobia. And one of one of the symptoms of agoraphobia is that um, it can be very difficult cross, to cross the road. So I was uptown in, in the city, in the financial district, and there was a lot of traffic. I didn't want to cross the road. I was waiting until I felt safe. And inside my head, I heard this this voice saying, you're so stupid, you're so stupid. And I was really shocked that I was even saying that to myself. I was really shocked, but I always say it's a good thing. It's a positive thing because I know what I'm doing so I can change it. I can change my behavior. So self-empathy would have been something like, I need to feel safe. I need safety. I need to feel safe, something like that. And if I can really, really connect with that need, then the anger will go. Right. It doesn't matter what someone has said or done. You know, <coughs> like you said, I could be enraged all the time by the things that are being done to us. And, you know, it's not just black people who are on the receiving end, but my community is my priority. So I could be enraged all the time but by what's being done to black women, what's being done to black men, what's being done to black children. But that's not right. going to change anything. It's a natural, normal reaction, but it's not going to change anything. What's going to change things if I could feel like, you know, for example, with that little girl, um, I had a need for safety there, safety for her. They put her in a police car with a male police officer and she was in handcuffs. Yeah. 
Right. That just upsets. Even now, I'm still upset about it. But the need, there's a need for safety and there's other needs. Like there's a need for respect. There's a need for understanding, understanding what's going on with this little girl. Why she kicked off. She well, here's the thing. No reason. Here's Sorry. the thing. I would challenge anyone to show me a six-year-old who hasn't had a temper tantrum. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, you know, if, if that it was truly the reason she had a temper tantrum. Now, was this temper tantrum involving her banging somebody's head against the wall? You know, and even then you don't take her on handcuffs? Or throwing a so, chair at somebody or something. I mean, I you don't know. So why yeah, are you, actually, you don't actually even have to go that far. She's a child and you're Thank an adult. You. And if you, you can't manage a small child without putting them in handcuffs, you should stay away from children because you're, you. you're obviously incompetent. Thank you. Why are you working in a place with small children if you don't know how to deal with small children? Why did the police officer agree to put handcuffs on this person? Why did the police officer say, are you kidding me? You all called me here for this? I know. I know. There's so many things that went wrong in that there situation. There's so many things I'm not happy about. But the need, so what we need to do now is turn that around. So with underneath that anger, there are needs. There are needs that are not being met. So can you think of what needs you have in that situation as an observer? So this is where you can help. This is okay. where you can help people learn these skills. Okay. So that when you're in the moment, this yeah, is yeah. Right. So even when you're with yourself and you're in that moment and you don't want to cross the street because you don't feel comfortable, even in that moment, you can be kind to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And from there, it goes to everything else that you do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like I said, in that when I look at that. Um, incident for example and i feel upset and i feel angry i think well what's the need the need i have the main one is the need for safety and also understanding understanding what's going on with the six-year-old girl i don't think that um putting her in handcuffs helps with that right so but that's just an example so we all need to learn but what i'm going to be doing this year more my plan is that when i blog about situations i'm going to break things down in terms of feelings and needs which is what the basis is of nvc it's feelings and needs which is that's how we define um empathy within nvc is about connection connecting with feelings and needs. So any problems that we have, any disputes, any arguments, any violence are to do with disconnection. And when we feel our connection with others, um, then the whole situation can just completely turn around. So what, okay, so obviously the pandemic has exasperated people's yeah. mental states. Yeah. So what tips do you have for people? Okay, are you are you guys back into a lockdown? I mean, we're everybody's in flux, in and out of lockdown. So depending mm. on when it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, we, that have some, we have some restrictions, but no, we're not in lockdown. So people are still going to work as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and shops are still open as far as I can aware. I'm as I am aware, but we have to wear masks and we have to do certain things. Okay. So what do you what do you what tip would you have for someone who hasn't been handling the pandemic pretty well? Well, I shouldn't say it hasn't been handling it well because they have been doing the best that they can, but has been mentally mm, yeah, it's it's challenging and challenging it can be yeah stressful yeah, it's challenging. I was reading something this morning about people taking out their frustrations on people who work in shops. 
and um, you know, I've had people who work in shops who tell me the same thing that if something is out of stock, people are taking it out on them, and it's so unnecessary. But I can that's scary. Way. Yeah, I mean, I think people who work in shops in retail get a hard time anyway, and it's just worse now. Um, but yeah, and it's happening a lot on airplanes as well, from what I'm told. Yes. So I would say, like, say you go into shop in a shop you've ordered something i mean this has happened to me but i ordered online about two three months ago and what i wanted still hasn't come so you're in the shop and you're feeling angry the first thing is to stop and just check how you're feeling i'm feeling angry i'm feeling frustration um because my need is not being met whatever that need might be and you know just stopping taking a breath and checking in with yourself can make a difference. So literally, literally, you're in the store, literally stop. Yeah. Breathe, check in and say, okay. Acknowledge that you're angry. Say, okay, I'm angry. Breathe, I'm angry. It's okay to be angry. I'm angry because yeah. I've been waiting yeah. for this for three months. This is something I really wanted and I okay, really need stop, it. Stop, stop I there paid good money for it. They already have my money and I don't have okay, my stuff. Stop there, because what's happening now is that you're going into the story and that's what we do. So when you find yourself going into the story, because the story often is this stupid person is not giving me what I want. They're doing this deliberately to upset me. Like you just said, I've already paid my money. They've already got my money. That's going into the story. So we need to stop that kind of dialogue and just go, how am I feeling? What am I needing? Focus on the feeling and the need. Yeah, yeah. And once we do that, if we can really, really concentrate on connecting with the feeling and need, then we can probably connect in a way with the person behind the till who's probably terrified that we're going to hit them or something, you know, so we can just say, oh, something like, well, I realize you're doing your best. I'm upset, but I realize you're doing your best. And if you talk to someone like a human being, nine times out of 10, they're going to respond like a human being. Yeah, I like to think and say, look, I know you're a frontline person. This is not your fault. Mm, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because people are blaming them all day long for things that are not their fault. No, not you your know, fault. If I want to go into a shop and buy three bottles of hand sanitizer and I'm only allowed to have two, I'm not going to be happy about it. But that's not their fault. So saying to someone, it's not your fault, I know it's not your fault, I realize you're trying to help me, that can really change the situation. Wouldn't it also help to, I mean, especially in these times where we still have shortages of this and that, or things are moving a little bit more slowly, to like, like, I don't know, take your needs down a notch, you know, like think about, like, you ordered something and you really want it, but it might take longer now, so maybe I should just relax and wait till it gets here, you know? Yeah, but you may not be in the mood to relax. That sounds good in principle, but that... Um, shall I tell you, because um, one of the things you asked me about was, what have I learned from the pandemic? And I thought that was a great question because um, there is a lot of chaos still. But if you remember when the pandemic first hit, in the West, the amount of fear and chaos and uncertainty there was. I remember like it was yesterday. It was because it probably was, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really difficult. Now you see, I'm a Buddhist, and this is what the Buddha said, okay? He said, 
we don't understand what's happening. We think we do, but we don't. We don't understand why it's happening. We think we do, but we don't. We don't, we can't predict the future. We think we can, but we can't. And that was just so evidently true, especially, and it's still true now, it's always true, but we didn't see it that clearly, particularly because we live in the West and our lives are quite cushioned because we live in the West. If you think about people in India, there's a million people who, look, who live in extreme poverty. So they experience this kind of chaos and that feeling of lack every of day. control. They have Damn. that every day of their lives, but it's like yep. all of a sudden, the whole world is getting the same. It was a lesson. huge wake up call for the Western yeah. world. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a huge lesson of inconvenience. Like Angela saying, can't you just be a little bit more patient? Uh-uh. You know, we're like, we still don't want to chill. Yeah. We, I mean, you know, this is like you just said, it's a huge wake up call. But this is reality as the Buddha described it. And we don't normally see it like that because we have, you know, we have nice places to live. We have a roof over our heads. We have running water. We have all these lovely things that we take for granted. If you're living somewhere that's a lot closer to poverty, you know, you're going to experience that every day, that sense of uncertainty, that sense of insecurity. So this is a truth which we're all being taught at the moment. And, you know, it's an opportunity for learning. And I think it's really interesting that a lot of people have left their jobs now because they're becoming a lot clearer about what's important and what's not. Yeah. What do you guys think? What did you learn from the pandemic? Angela, you go first. Ooh, okay. Um, well, I... I... I don't know if I per se learned anything. I mean, I learned that about 30% of people in the world are crazy. I guess that's mm. not maybe that the people that, that don't want to wear masks, that don't want to have vaccinations, that don't want to stay in the house. They just want to run around. And I mean, that's maybe not the best thing I could have learned. Um, but one of the things that I did learn is that, you know, back in, I think it was 2015, there was an Ebola scare. Oh yes! And at that time, I was, I was, I mean, I wasn't like afraid or anything because I figured, yeah, you know, that that Ebola is it's pretty obvious when you have Ebola, so it's not gonna. A lot of people were really worried, but what I thought that I should do was like start preparing just in case something like this ever happened again, and mm. I and and I did. And so when everybody was like worried about shortages of this or worried about this or there weren't masks or whatever, I, I, what I learned is that that if you prepare for things, even if they seem seem far fetched, that it might be useful to you, like that all my preparations and things were were spot on. So you but... had masks and you had um, hand sanitizer and toilet paper, like everything that people were rushing around yes. to get you already had. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did as well. I stocked up on toilet rolls and I still have a stock of toilet rolls in case I need them. Yes. Because I no, but I mean, mean, Angela, you had this before. Yes, I had it before. Well, yes, you did I. I so had good. it before. Yeah. So, so I... Jana, before Corona, you always had toilet paper stocked and <laughs> hand sanitizer. For the past few years, well, I use, I've been using hand sanitizer for years anyway. So I always make sure I have some, but, I, you know, a few years before the pandemic, I made sure I had plenty of extra toilet rolls. I had plenty of canned goods. Long before any of this started, I heard What about say, masks? 
I had mask no, actually. No, no. I bought mask because of because of Ebola. Okay. And I just put them in. I bought like a hundred, you know, a package of those hundred surgical masks. Right. But you know, I, when we were in Tokyo, you didn't have a mask. Well, and I, I saw didn't need masks one. there. So but people, I didn't. Warm, yeah, they had them, thing. but but, but people, you know, I know when I'm in Asia, they wear not everywhere. But I saw when we were in Beijing. We were mad, and I was like, should I wear a mask? Because it was more air quality thing there. Yeah. And then but, there oh, were some geez. days, you know, that you were like, okay. And I heard from people that there were older tourists that had um, breathing problems that had to get evacuated. Like the air quality could be super, you know. Yeah. So I, so I kind of like, want to do like what the locals are doing. It's like, well, why they're, it's the air quality thing. But in Tokyo, it wasn't air quality, and we saw a few people. But I just never noticed. I just So you had masks. So when did, would you wear a mask in Germany, Angela? Now I'm curious. Um, well, no. I was saving. Actually, actually, to be honest, sometimes I would wear them um, when I was, like, if I had a cold or something. Mm. Mm. You know, so you were being considerate. So that's, that's great. You were being considerate. That's why of people wear them in Japan. That's why I didn't have one on. They, you're supposed to wear a mask if you feel sick, so you don't right. spread the disease. But mm. I had them. I bought them because of Ebola, and um, I actually broke out my mask before. You know, when they were like, "Well, we don't know," and don't get masks because the hospital needs them and whatever. And I'm like, "Yep, I already got my mask, so I don't have to worry." And right. Well, right. kudos to you and Jana for being yeah. extra careful with hygiene before. The, the only thing I could say I was careful with pre-pandemic was, you know, washing my hands in public spaces. Yeah. What, what yeah. I do privately, of course, is safe. But in public spaces, washing my hands after I use the ladies' room and then, like, not touching the doorknob, you know, like, making yeah, sure oh, I have yeah, a paper definitely. towel. <laughs> that would be as far as I would go. And then it dawned on me, like, one time I was on a cruise and or maybe the first time I was on a cruise and they say, you know, in your little those I've never been in a huge suite. So those toilets are like super small. And they said I read everything and it says shut the lid before flushing, you know, to keep the stuff from spraying. I was like, oh, my God, you mean this when you flush the toilet mm. stuff goes whatever. So mm. that was an epiphany for me. And I was, yeah. I was never taught to shut, you know, growing up to shut the lid before flushing because stuff goes. So I do that. I learned that on a cruise. So I'm careful with that. Um, but what I learned from the pandemic, I don't know if I learned, because I've been working from home since 2005. So it was no big shift. Like right. I didn't have this big emotional, I can't imagine working in an office or having coffee, water cooler conversations or having people on, no, don't miss that camaraderie. You know, have had that cultivated in other ways. But I use, I have more pandemic blessings. Like my goddaughter who's, dad is German, her mom's Danish, and um, we used to work together in Brussels with her dad, her and her four sisters, three sisters, and it was a cousin, I think we would have English lessons on Zoom because they were getting homeschooled. And, you know, it's, so that was a blessing. I didn't have, because I had lost contact with Medita. You know, she's 11 and or whatever. So we had that together. And then, you know, my yeah. sister, you know, yeah, my home church, okay, I know you're Buddhist, Angela's atheist, but I was able to have, be in a communion of fellowship Sunday, including my sister on Zoom with another oh, wider good. congregation of people that I knew and had connections with. Exactly. So I had those kind of connections, like when things things that shifted online that I could be a part of, I was able to be then have this time because, you know, kids are busy. Homeschool, we could put in some time. What was another blessing? Oh, I... That was pretty, I had more blessings than, oh, but the hardest thing, I had some hardships. So I guess I had, what, I have to look and see what I learned from that. Separation, it was 10 months I was separated from my family, which uh, 
Uh-huh. But the hardship for when you have elderly parents yeah. and not to whine because I know that may not sound like a hardship for some people, but that was because it included several canceled flights and things that had been planned. And, you know, mm-hmm. you keep thinking, because as you say, as the Buddhists say, you think, you know, what <laughs> you can do, but you can't. Or to yeah, paraphrase, you think you know what's going to happen, but you don't. <laughs> you think so. you know what's going to happen, but you don't. So I fell into that trap. Yeah, and that do. caused me because I had that belief that was ten months of self-imposed despair. Right? If I was, if I had the Buddhist belief, I wouldn't have been. So I did suffer through, through that. So I guess I learned don't. I don't have that type of um, certainty that I can do certain planning. So well, I guess yeah, I learned exactly. that. That's my biggest. Yeah. Exactly. And Help me. You. Thank you for helping me find my lesson, Jana. Had... <laughs> well done. Well done. But also, Buddhists still get upset when, when flights are canceled because we still have in our minds this thought that it should happen how I want it to happen, right? They told me the flight's going at three. The flight's supposed to go at three. What do you mean there's no flights? So, you know, we're not perfect because we're not enlightened yet. You know, we're still learning. Everybody so when you're in the learning. airport now traveling, yes, yeah, so and when you're in the airport traveling now and you have a flight delay, what do you do, Jana, one more time? You stop, <laughs> take a moment, as they say, breathe, and just think, how am I feeling? I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling anxious. Okay, so what's the need? The need is for order. I've got a need for order and maybe something about consistency or something. Something okay. like that. And if you can really, really connect with that, then a lot of the anger or the anxiety, whatever you're feeling, will go. And then if the anger goes, then you can quietly sit down and just wait to see what happens. Or you can be polite when it's your turn in line at the gate agent and say, I know you're doing your best. Exactly. And trust me, they really appreciate it when you say that. When they've had 10 people in a row having a go at them, and then you come along and say, I realize you're doing your best. They really appreciate that. You know, yeah. Ajana, you've given me, Angela, has, a, has she given you tools? She's given me a lot to think about. But one of the things I, I just wanted to say was, you know, if you're in an airport and flights are being canceled, you shouldn't yell at people. It's not their fault. Mm. And, 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 and you should realize that everyone is having the same feelings and it doesn't help if people just one after another, like, you know, like, yell at the the people in the airport right so now right so jean has given us tools to say because sometimes even if you know you this is you can't help it and you want to you know you react so instead of we need to try to be more in control of our the first step is to breathe we and breathing can change your you know i do a lot of yoga and breathing is the the root of everything right it can Mm -hmm. really change this your whole nervous system calm you down um, what about this nurture success group? Is that part of your offer? Because before we go, I want to make sure, because you got so much going on, and I've got in my notes, you've got a nurture a group, nurture success. Yeah, is that true? So nurture, nurture success is one of Google groups, and I will drop the link for you. Um, and it's a group for people of African heritage anywhere in the world. Um, and it's just basically, I put stuff that's of use of benefit for us to do with mind body spirit to do with healing anything you know sometimes i blog about black films or um, i post about black films because i belong to black film black cinema club which you can join if you want to it's on meetup.com and we have films twice a week 
So basically, it's to share anything that's positive. So if you joined it, like for example, you could put every every time you do another one of these um, podcasts, you can put the link to the podcast. And it's just for us to share stuff that's valuable and beneficial. And the plan is for it to be about uh, conversations. So if, you know, for example, say, say um, well, I think as Black people, we have specific things that we need to heal that are to do with our ancestral um, experience of slavery and um, colonization, then we can talk about that. So someone else could say, yeah, I agree with you. And someone else could say, yeah, no, I don't agree with you. And we can have a conversation about it. And it's private just between us. It's free to join. Awesome. That so great. it's a safe space. And is it in real time or yeah. it's like well, it a forum? Can it can be in real time, but um, it's just like posting to a forum. It's basically the same idea, really, but it's just for us. Now, one of the things Angela wants to do, well, that we are doing, but that Angela initiated, you want to tell her, Angela, the Black Directory for Europe? Oh, yeah, that's right. Bye, Black. Put Sean together a, a directory for the for the whole of Europe of it's black businesses, businesses, doctors, engineers, lawyers, everything. You know, yeah. So that service providers. Can, yes. If I'm going to spend my money. I want to buy black in Europe. Every you know what I mean. Let that be my first. Um, if I'm looking for a dentist, as Angela said, a dermatologist, uh, somebody do my taxes, any any service provider, okay, maybe I'm going to run to the grocery store. That's not going to be the black store in my neighborhood. That's okay. But the next time I'm in Paris, where do you go get your little things when you buy black? You know, so wonderful. from A to Z. That category sounds really Angela, great idea for our lister. So I don't know if that space from you, or if you pick up, like people are like, I opened up this restaurant or I have stuff like that. You know, we want to, or maybe we can put the link in there to let people know here, fill out this form to be in the directory. Yeah. And also, okay. yeah, right. What do you think? Because we, we can't do it on our own. We're not going to know every black owned business, mm. but we want to. You yeah, know, we that's true. It. We can't know it, but we want to. And, you know, sometimes it would just be nice to go and have some service with a black person. Yeah, that's right. Like, I it doesn't even have to be like you're trying to, like, you know, take over the world with black businesses. We just, you know, just want to be with. I mean, people. they're already there. Why not patronize them? And it's not as if they only want black customers, you know, that and, you know, that's not that, you know, that's the other thing, too. You know, it's not like we're not going to stop going to our favorite French restaurant or whatever. Or whatever. But, but when you get off the plane. What's the first thing you want? You want somewhere we can get your hair done and you want somewhere we can get something to eat. Your yeah. hair, you know? <laughs> and that's right. So why not, if you can, you know, because, you know, like, for example, you know, like, I know that there are Black business directories for different cities or different, you know, right. but we want comprehensive. Right. So we just want to pool all the resources. That's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. And you know what would be really good to have as well is Black-owned B&Bs. Mm. So oh, when you're yes. planning your trip, yeah, absolutely. Because I'm over Airbnb, and did you see that resurface? I just have it on the blog. There was an interview with that sister that got thrown down the stairs in Amsterdam. Thrown oh, down the stairs? What? Oh, Angela, go to the blog because she was late leaving her Airbnb. She was there. She was part of. There's a South African artist that had this big exhibition in Amsterdam. Because Martha even contacted me, um, Angela, and was like, 
And um, some of her friends were in from South Africa to support. They were late leaving there. You know, you're supposed to check out at a certain time. Mm. Didn't that, that Danish um, Dutch guy throw the, um, down the stairs? And it was long stay. The film is hard to watch. Oh, Trigger God. alert, as they say. Because okay. it was captured on like somebody's phone because he was hassling them, trying to get them out of the... Um, I think he threw the suitcase down the stairs and then her. Oh, my gosh. It's Wait, horrible. Did he go to jail? He got reprimanded somehow. Not like we thought he should. Let me mm. put it like that. Mm. And I, ever since then, this was a few years ago. She just she gave an interview. I just found it. Somebody shared it in a group, and I put it in the blog just a couple of days ago. And it's hard. It's trigger. It's hard to watch. Um, but I wrote off Airbnb. I said, let me quit while I'm ahead, especially if you're by yourself. And she was with some other women. If there was a man, I don't think he would have done that. Right. Ooh. I wish somebody would do some shit like that to me. But you They'd see what I'm saying? Going down you know, the stairs. It is very precarious. I know, Sajana, you're right. We need to patronize our own places. Now, to say that wouldn't happen, and see, here's the other thing. Buying black doesn't mean you're going to get excellent service. But oh, you know what? If, if you don't, you stop going there. We'd be like, we gave you a try. Yeah, that's it. So that's we're not. It. Years ago, I had a radio show and we were talking about this one day. And what we were saying was that if you go to one black, it's like, say you go to a hairdresser's. I mean, that's not a good example, but say you go to a hairdresser's and you don't like the service and you say, I'm never going to a black hairdresser's again. But if you go to a white hairdresser's and don't like the service, you don't say, I'm never going to a white hairdresser's again. Well, personally, I would. But a lot of us wouldn't. You know, we just, we generalize when it comes to black businesses. Yeah. Right. When it comes to Asian businesses or white businesses, we might say, I don't like that shop on the corner. And do me another favor. Don't go in there asking for a discount. Pay our sisters and brothers the price they ask and what they deserve with their services, their products. You know, we want that sister discount. You know, hook me up. Yeah. No, pay my price. Yeah. You know, well, let me give you what, you know, I'm, I'm fairly priced. I'll let you know when there's a sale or whatever, you know, but that's the other thing. So um, definitely about the, the B&Bs, the, the, um, because we want to have our safe spaces, yeah. you know. Um, so I think you could be a big help to that because, you know, a lot of what's going on in the UK. We definitely want to invite you back in October so you can um, be part of Black History Month because oh, I, lovely. yeah, lovely. you've got. Don't you think, Angela, she can, you yes. can do some stuff on what's happening in the UK historically and contemporarily. And before you go, what did you think about Black Lives Matter mo- movement in the UK? I was proud that it was happening all around the world and in Europe. Yeah. What did you think about it in the UK? And what was the UK flavor? Like it wasn't yeah. all about just George Floyd in the US. They have your own issues there. Well, it, it, I mean, I feel like you, I feel proud that it happened all over the world, including here. And I mean, a lot of it was triggered. I mean, we've had BLM in this country for years, but a lot of it was triggered by uh, by the George Floyd killing, which I really have a problem with because black people have been killed by the police for years. So why did it take certain population, certain members of the population? I you know, I think it. the thing you're right. It's since since um since day one, since we came to the yeah. states in 1619. But I think that the, the tragedy was it that it being filmed by this young girl and that it was eight minutes or whatever. This guy just on his, you know, I think that everybody was just appalled to literally see somebody die before their eyes. Everybody was appalled. I think that was the thing. I've been appalled for you know, years. It happened no, after that. It happened after that again in Minnesota. You know, and it's going to yeah, happen in 2022. Yeah. It keeps happening. It happened in Britain. I was reading something. The person didn't die, 
but there was a police officer kneeling on somebody's neck. Oh my God. Yeah, it's Where, in the UK? But you see the thing is like, have you heard of Joy Gardner? Yes, Tell she was killed by the policeman, raped and killed. She wasn't raped, no. The woman that was raped and killed was Sarah Everard. She was um, a white woman. And no that disrespect. Was really sorry. Okay. Sorry. No disrespect yeah. to Sarah or Joy, but I do know the name. Please remind us of the tragedy. Okay. So, um, yeah. So Sarah Everard happened. I think last year there was a vigil. The police called it off because they said it, it um, violated COVID rules. But people went anyway. So there was a vigil anyway, and the police were very heavy-handed with the way they handled it. But Sarah Everard was a white woman. Joy Gardner. Um, in, back in 2000, there's a filmmaker called Ken Farrell who made a film called Injustice, which is about these seven families where somebody had died, a member of the family had died in an officer-related incident, and they were still seeking justice. And 22 years later, those families are still seeking justice. So why he decided to make the film in the first place was because he heard about Joy Gardner, who was a young woman from Jamaica, her mother was settled here. Her son, or she might have had more than one child, they were settled here. She was applying for the right to live here. And um, these are all details I found out afterwards. But the Home Office, uh, the immigration people, turned down her um, her application to stay. And she was, she was um, appealing their decision. Instead of responding to her appeal, they came and they basically killed her. They what? put her in some kind of harness, which is something that they used during slavery. And they wrapped something like six meters of tape around her mouth, and she choked to death. In her home, they came. In her, in the, yeah, now, her right to appeal was, they ignored her right to appeal. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> they just ignored it. And trigger warning, because, you know, I can't carry more about this, and none of it is good. So trigger warning, um, she had a young son, I think he was about five, and he was in the room at the time. Oh my God. And his grandmother oh, no. asked him later what had happened, and he said they knocked her down on the floor and sat on her. And she died. Oh, no. And 22 years later, her family is still seeking justice. So it's really an appalling story. And now, just to be film, clear, these are seven police involved deaths in the United Kingdom. This is, um, I, I'm not sure how many, I think it was two police officers and two immigration officers. But okay. don't quote me on that, but it was something like that. I'm sorry, let me, let's just say law enforcement involved yeah. or government related yeah. somehow, but yeah. this isn't, we're talking the UK, not the US, the UK. That's right, we're talking the UK and we're talking London. And at the time when it happened, the London Evening Standard newspaper put on the front page that because there were male officers, in her home. She wanted to confuse them, so she took off her T-shirt. Oh, my God. Yeah, they reported that like it was the truth, right? And I'm still to this day, no justice has been served. But wait, why would they be confused if she took off her shirt? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good question. I can't answer that question. Yeah, like, that. what century are we in that Thank you've you. never <laughs> seen a woman without her shirt on? <laughs> But they put her in this kind of slave harness. So they didn't know what century we were in either, right? Let me, I want to say one thing to, you know, because you know, and Angela, I don't know, but you know, in the UK, Zana, you know, the, the frontal nudity with women, that's 
front page stuff. What's the paper? What used to be the something girl? The sun, in the... They used to be in the sun every day. I think so. Please. So that was that was as lame as it gets because yeah, you know, I mean, really, it was know, just an insult, right? That's just. And an wait insult. a minute, and let me ask you this: Have they been retrained not to use that hold, whatever it was? I don't think so. Was... I don't know, but I don't think so. But I had Ken Farrow on my show a couple of years ago, and he was talking about it. And then for the Global Peace Summit, which we had the end of twenty twenty we showed the film Injustice. And I'd seen it when it first came out, but it was many years since I'd seen it. And it's just still so upsetting. It's just so upsetting to hear these stories because her story was only one story. But when he heard about Joy Gardner, then um, that's what caused them to make the film, compile the film Injustice. Now, I- You know what? Jean, I'm sorry. I just wanted to quickly, because then you tie it in and fast forward it to what they're doing to the wind rush generation now yeah okay can we come back to that because i think that's a really important point as well yeah i just wanted to say i've written to two different organizations one is i think they're called reclaim the street and the other is called a woman woman in black they're on facebook and i've said to them would you hold a vigil for joy gardner because sarah everard rightly had a vigil as you said she was kidnapped and raped and killed by a police officer um she had a vigil Joy Gardner never had a vigil. Would you be willing to consider um, organizing a vigil for her? They never even responded. They never wow. even responded to my queries. So wow. that's it's disappointing. Really- I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. But yeah, it's really important what you brought up, the Windrush generation, Windrush scandal, because what happened was the Home Office, which is in charge of immigration and the police, decided to institute what they called um, a hostile environment. Um, this was under, what's her name? Well, when it was first brought in, Theresa May was the head of the Home Office. She was the Home Secretary before yes. she became Prime Minister. She brought it in and then her, her the person who succeeded her actually implemented it. And what they did, they took the, the immigration documents of thousands of black people who've been living here their whole life since the 1950s and they destroyed them from the 1950s when their um when their grandparents came to save the nhs yeah when they, yeah exactly when these people came over here as children right so they, they didn't have their own passports they were on their parents passports but they had boarding passes, right? The Home Office had kept those for like 50, 60 years. They decided to destroy them and then write to people telling them that um, you're an illegal immigrant. You have no right to stay here. You can't work. Angela, can you imagine that? Did you get that? Yeah, I I have heard, I've read about this. And mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, people often say that, you know, the UK isn't racist, but I have to say that over the past, I'm going to say three to five years, it seems to me that um, that the UK is very racist and, yeah. and not not just racist, but nationalist. Like they don't even want people from Poland or, you it's know, true. like it's it's. And if you look back in history about how they did the people in Scotland and oh, um, yes. and Ireland, Ireland yes. you yes. know, like, Wales. yes, exactly. And. And that somehow these, you know, it all goes back to them think, I think, them, they think that they are the last of the Roman Empire and mm-hmm. it's only gone worse from there. Um, it's, I, I know a lot of people love the UK, but I just can't, 
think I want to visit there anytime well, soon. Well, I mean, I love things about the UK and I hate things about the UK, but I think that would probably be true anywhere, really. I mean, one of the things I really don't love is the weather, apart <laughs> from anything else. <laughs> I know when I lived in London, I'm trying to remember the year. I think it was on Time Magazine, it's the coolest city of the year that year. And I was like, darn tootin'. And um, oh god, this is probably '96, cause yeah, and I was working at Polygram Records. It was Polygram Records then, which is now part of Universal. And it was just like, I was African American. It was like I don't want to say people were kissing my feet, but it was like I was in the music industry, and the respect that the Brits have for African American music is like, they love it more than we do. They respect it more than we do. And it was just like everything that came out of my mouth was just like, you know, people hanging on every word. And then I can remember I voting using my absentee ballot to vote for Clinton. And they were, we love Bill Clinton. He helped us with that IRA problem, people would say. And I'm like, okay. It was just like, I couldn't be more cool. So yeah, I, I can't, and then, you know, so I know London was not like, no, I don't, I can't, they probably had to be one, a, a percentage, but I know Londoners in general were not voting for Brexit because London is such a cosmopolitan That's city. That's right. That's right. The, but you best, the best Indian food, you know, Chinese food, any place that the Brits colonized, you can find the best food in London. Right, it's everywhere. everywhere exactly. So Jamaican food, you know how it is. Yeah. If they were colonized, they're in London. It's hard, you know, you're hard pressed, depending on where you are in time of day, to hear a, a native uh, British accent on the street. It's nothing but either tourists or foreigners yeah, you know, and, that live there that are speaking their native tongue first. And, and there's a lot of people who they call, they speak what's called Jafakit, right? Black and white children who want to sound like they're from Jamaica, they speak Jafakit. I hadn't heard that. Hey, Jafakit, I've never heard of that either. <laughs> Yeah, so there's well, lots like of bacon, like fake bacon. I guess you can have fake Jamaican accent. Yeah. So they play a cultural thing. Um, but so Black Lives Matter has been a thing in the UK for a lot for a long time for good reason. And so it got back to so they were tearing down statues and yeah. things. I'm sorry to say I could never remember this young actor's name, but he was in Star Wars. Oh yeah, I know what you one mean. One of the Black Lives Matters um, demonstrations, and he spoke, and he was actually crying. He was actually in tears. John Boyega. Yeah, that's it, John Boyega. Because anytime something happens like that to one black person, we all know it could have happened to us. Well, it's true, and I don't know if you saw he played Martin Luther King. I want to say in Selma, Selma, and he's a B British guy, and he's in. A, David Ayuwalo, yeah. Thank you. He did a thing on the BBC, I want to say, where they talked about this and they had a black audience. And I think they were talking about racism in the UK, like raise your hand, or, like put a finger down if this hasn't happened to you and blah, blah, blah. But he was weeping because he was saying to watch the thing that this guy had his knee on the neck for eight minutes or whatever. You know, it was like, I was thinking about my son. And yeah. so it was, yeah. I could see like the black, and I don't know if it, because he spent so much time in the US, but just like he, just like the other guy said, John, Jump or yeah. it, it can happen to any of us. They don't know. That's right. You know who you are, where you're from. They don't and care. They don't care. Yeah, they don't that's when they're the most for important you. part. They don't care. Yeah. And this has been going on. So there was a there was a series of five films. Maybe I think five films on TV a couple of years ago on the BBC. And um, they're about racism, historic racism. And Boyega, John Boyega, was in one of them, which was about, about a black police officer who joined the force, I think it was in the 1970s, because he wanted to make a difference. 
And, you know, the racism he experienced. And the first one, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Yeah, Mangrove. The first one was called Mangrove. And they were, they were all directed by Steve McQueen, who made um, 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, because, you know, the first time you hear Steve McQueen, you know, I, I naturally go back to that iconic white actress from the 50s or whatever, but notice that brilliant brother who directs. Yeah, that one. That's Steve McQueen, yeah. Exactly, that's Steve McQueen. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah. So the first one's called Mangrove, and it's about this guy. He decided to set up a restaurant in West London. He was from Trinidad. He wanted to set up a restaurant that reflected his culture. His local area reflected his culture. And the police just kept coming in and arresting everybody and saying that the men were pimps and the women were hookers and all this kind of nonsense. And it ended up going to the high court. And he got off, but I mean, they, they were arresting him and trying him time and time again. It's just ridiculous. Harassment for no reason. And you know what, to bring, to make parallel in, in the United States in Washington, D.C., a hundred years ago, this woman named Sewell, I can't remember her first name right now, had a tea room in Rock Creek Park, which is a beautiful park in the city. It was very successful. Mm. White neighbors complained. They were like, there are too many Negroes over there. Mind mm. our business having tea. Don't you know they shut her down? So wow. this happened in the 1920s, Washington, D.C., and this is 19-something UK? 1970s, yeah. 1970s in London. Yeah. in London. So just to say, so we do have these collective experiences. Exactly, of, exactly. I believe it doesn't matter where you live, right? If you're Black, you're going to have some of the exact same challenges, right? So that's it, why Jana's tools, we're going to wrap up just because we could go forever. Because, yeah. But I just want, I mean, it's come full circle because these tools, you know, success stories, your um, your nurture group, um, the, the success, double, yeah. because your financial success in 30 days. We're going to share the links with all of this. This is whether you're listening to us from the UK, the EU, or the US. It's gonna, and you're from the African diaspora. It's gonna be, it's gonna be relevant. You know, I'm so grateful that you've agreed to come back in October for Black oh, History Month. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. Thank you. And you must come on my show because I want to hear a lot more about your experience of being Black women in Europe. Nice. Well, Angela, awesome. what do you think? The, I um, think it's the, great. The network is called The Female Solution, and they're based in Chicago. And most of the sisters are in Chicago, but some of them are in different places. And I'm here. So when I talk about stuff that happens here, the people in the States are really shocked. Okay, well, we can help you talk and we can say what's happening in Germany and what's happening in Sweden. Yeah, I'm really we collectively about that. I'm very interested in that. But I just want to mention one thing because I haven't talked about my own direct personal experience of racism and that, you know, is something we could talk about another time. But something I want to mention, I'm going to keep mentioning this, is that um, about a year ago, I saw this documentary and they were saying that black women are four times more likely than white women to die in childbirth in Britain. Right. Say that again. So in the UK, in, in the, with UK, the National right Health Service, now, in the 21st century, right with now. the National Health Service, which means that everybody has health care, every everyone yeah. has access to health care. Yeah, and don't don't get me wrong. I love the NHS. The NHS is brilliant. It's wonderful. They saved my life when I had cancer a few years ago. The, I mean, NHS is amazing. But four times as many Black women as white women are dying in childbirth within six weeks of giving birth. And they don't even have any targets to look at why this is happening or how to stop it happening. 
So this is something I'm going to keep raising questions about until I get an answer because no one seems to be able to explain this. Wow, that's actually worse than it is in the United States. Mm. And I thought that the, the United States rate was uh, terrible, but it's it's only um, like two to three times as many. Only. Well, I mean, compared to four times as many yeah, is what I, I meant. Know. Not not that it's such a great number. I'm I'm shocked. Honestly, it's shocking to me that any women are dying in childbirth. Exactly. Exactly. Unless it's some kind of extreme situation. Yeah. I mean, unless there's something physically wrong, like they, you shouldn't die in childbirth. Anymore. You know, we, that's the thing. And, and this is what people don't appreciate. Every time a woman goes into birth, it's a life or death situation. But it should, it should be very rare in what we call first world countries. And it's that's very right. disappointing to hear that it's happening to us in a country where every woman has access to health care. Yes. In the United States, a lot of that could be like, oh, we don't all have health care. But we do yes. know that when we show up with health care, that we don't always get treated seriously or treated with the same respect that white women get treated with. No, we don't. So if, I wonder if that could have something to do with it, because if these women have access to health care, then there's a failure within the system. That's again. right. That's yeah, right. So, for sure, but, there's a failure. But that does not. So you know what that be? That's a hot topic. If you um, find out about stuff on that, that's something great. You know what, Angela? Maybe we can look for somebody who can talk about this on the on the. That's something very disturbing. Nothing that we. But if hopefully we could talk about it so we can help make some change. It's nothing yeah. that we're um, celebrating. We're definitely trying to figure out how to solve that. So that's terrifying. I'm so glad that the NHL H saved your life from cancer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Now, the NHS is a wonderful, wonderful institution, which the government, the Tory government, is desperately trying to undermine and destroy. Yes. Wait, I'm so sorry. National Health Service, for yeah. anyone who might not know, that's the United Kingdom. If you're a citizen, even if you're not a citizen, I don't think that you can be turned away, but you have no. access to care from the national health system, right? NHS National Health System. National Health Service. Service, sorry. So that's... And I'm sorry. So when we say NHS, we mean the tax-funded, yeah. tax-funded healthcare system yeah. that a lot of people in the United States like. Why can't we have this? Is even though we have better healthcare now, just so people understand, in the NH for the NHS in the U, in the UK, you don't pay anything in. That's you don't right. have any insurance cards. You just show up. That's right. Unless it's, I mean, you have to pay for dentistry. I have to pay for things like eyeglasses, but I get a free eye test. And pretty much everything is free. So the thing is, when I got a cancer diagnosis, I never for one single minute had to think, can I afford the treatment? Right? I had quite a lot of treatment. Can, can I afford? I never, that thought never had to cross my mind because everything's paid for by the NHS. It's a wonderful system. Most of the people working in the NHS are very hardworking. They're very dedicated. They're very caring. I love the NHS. But as you said, there's a systemic failure. And nobody seems to even under, and the NHS doesn't even have any targets for looking at why is it that four times, as, and when it first came out, it was five times as many, but now it's four times as many. So I suppose we should be grateful for that, but still. Yeah, well, we're lucky, the UK is lucky, the activists like you are concerned and, and willing to shine a light on that. And that's definitely um, um, something that I hope can be resolved. You know what, before we go, see, this is the problem because this, this conversation has been 15 years in the making. There's so many things to talk to you about, but, and I can't think of this guy's name. I want to say it's Devin, but did they fish in that? I'm going to use that term, find some young black man in the, in the river, in the Thames recently. 
I saw this in my Twitter feed. Oh, Do you know gosh, really? I haven't seen this yet, but oh okay. my gosh. But just to say, because that just broke my heart, because you know yeah. that up in Washington, D.C., that can happen, you know, if, you know, that young people are found dead, you know, that because we go missing. So I wonder, is there a problem or do people talk about missing black people? Oh yeah, we definitely, we definitely talk about them. But I don't understand what happened with this month. I know last year, I think it was just before the Sarah Everard incident happened, there were two young black women, they were sisters. And um, I think they went missing and then they were found and they were found dead in a park. They'd gone to sit in a park and they were found dead in the park. And I think the charge was that the police didn't take it seriously, the report, the missing report seriously. Because I think yeah, they weren't, yeah. they weren't, they, really they were not far from home. Because I know that's a concern that a lot of people that, you know, when black people go missing, you know, we don't get the, the, the media doesn't yeah, the cover it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But I think, although it's important to be aware of these things, it's also really important to keep being aware of our power that we can actually change this situation. Yes. So if you're here, if you if you're concerned with the higher um, mortality rate for uh, black women in the UK, don't just act like, oh, okay, yeah, that's how it is. It doesn't have to be that way. That's right. It does not have to be that way. We it can change. Yes. Zana, what would be your closing advice for like how can we change things? And we'll use this as an example: this mortality rate for women giving birth in the UK. What would you say? Because people feel overwhelmed and say, oh, what can I do? Yeah, yeah. well, there's different things we can do. We can work on protection, put an aura of protection around us. I haven't mentioned my new book, which is about to come out, which is called Morning Rituals with the Angels. And I'm really excited about this because this is my first book about the angels. But you can just mentally put a shield of protection around you. If you're going into hospital for any reason, put a shield of protection around you. Um, and the most important thing, okay, this might sound really kind of woo-woo, but I don't really care because um, I think it's the truth. The heart has so much power. Love has so much power. When we connect with our feelings and needs, when we surround ourselves with love, miracles happen. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Angela, I'm so glad Angela agrees because I agree too. So whether it's woo-woo or not, that's how we're ending. We're ending on a woo-woo which I love. Oh, love is not woo. It's real. Thank like, you. It is real. It's tangible. You can. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. And it's a it's a force for good. It's a power for good. And we all have it inside of us, each and every one of us. Yeah, the main problem is that most people have never experienced love. Mm. So they don't know how to call it up. I, I think for to me, that's what I think that there's so many people that don't know what love is for real that they've that, as you said earlier, that people in your childhood treated you badly and you think that love is when somebody like, you know, yells at you or hits you or because your parents are supposed to love you. Yeah. And yeah. and when you get into relationships you don't really know what love is. Yeah, yeah, and you repeat those patterns. We repeat yeah. those patterns, but we all know what love is actually because we have it inside of us, but we sometimes lose sight of that. But we so, Jana, well, to close us out. Sorry? Yeah, so, I was going to say, yeah, perfect. So to close us out, tell us how to remind or find the love that we all have inside of us. Let's okay. end it with 
A well, tool. one way is through self-empathy. So just stop a minute and look within and say, how am I feeling? What am I needing? And just allow those feelings to come to the fore. Allow your needs to come to the fore because they're there. When we connect with them, that's when miracles can start to take place. Now, would this be a good way for people to start their day? That's a tool you can do at any time during the day if you're feeling uncomfortable. Well, things that you do first thing in the morning and last thing at night are the most powerful because that's when the mind is most receptive. But yes, you can do it anytime you need to. Well, thank you for that. So if you don't know firsthand what love is, you can find it within yourself to try in the morning and before you go to bed to set yourself up for biggest chance of success. We have tons of links we'll share from Jana with more tools. Um, Angela, can you take us on home? Yeah, um, yeah, Zana, it's been, it's been great to talk with you and we'll put the links to your books and other endeavors in the show notes for the blog, uh, for yeah. the, for the um, podcast. And um, thank you. Thank you, Adrian. And thank you, Zana, for a great conversation. And we'll see you next time or hear it's us been next delightful. time. It's been delightful. Thank you so much for having me. We must talk again soon. Yeah, we will.